Also, dancing girl. I wonder if that's a euphemism. I mean, there was a lot of, like, intermigration between people from Hawaii or Honolulu. I have no idea it the sounds... ethnicity of Lulu. But very entertaining story that all of Richmond is named after a dancing girl in San Francisco. I thought Richmond... Oh, no, that's Sea Island. Yeah. Sea Island. That is the most boringly it... named island in the world. But an apt description of what the island will be after the earthquake. Or, like, 30 more years of climate change. But Sea Island's like highest level above sea level is what, two meters? Slightly less than the Maldives? Maldives? Is it pronounced Maldives? It won't matter soon. Is it Chiefs? It won't matter soon. Oh, Oh God. It's 124 days until the Vancouver municipal elections. This is the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. I'm Patrick Meehan. I'm Ian Bushfield. Today we have a show. It's short. It's it's yeah. abbreviated. It's hot out, so we need to like wrap this up quick because we're all melting in here. Yeah, mm-hmm. your room gets quite warm. Uh, well, we were going to have a guest on to talk about the opioid e- epidemic, which is still ongoing in Vancouver, and we really want to get dig into the idea that this housing, the housing crisis, which is you know destroying lives as well, is very difficult and damaging, and has taken over the entirety of the oxygen in the room when it comes to politics. But we have to acknowledge still that people are dying every day about the opioid epidemic, and I think we want to dig into that, and we've got a guest lined up that we're going to bring in next week to talk about it. We are the billows of democracy, breathing oxygen into a space where there is still too few uh, people listening. I wouldn't say too few. Let's give a little shout out to everyone who came out to our live show last week. We had, for those who couldn't make it, we had over, over 60 50, people. 50, I think it's safe people? to say over 60 because when I, when I counted at one point, it was over 50 and more people arrived. All right. And packed into the Emerald Room. It was great. Had wonderful guests of Haseelam... Andre Reimer and Ellen Woodsworth, who I think I learned something from each of them. At least. Yeah, it was really fascinating. I, I found myself agreeing with Ellen Woodsworth, which was a surprising outcome to the evening. But, you know, you can come to our next live show, which is going to be at some point in mid to late July. And we will update you with information as that becomes available. You know, and you can see some of our, you know, standard hard-hitting journalistic questions like, what is your average day as a city councilor like? And if you do really like our podcast and really enjoyed our live show or are looking forward to the next one, there's also a really awesome and excellent opportunity that you have to come and support us. Awesome and excellent. <laughs> the best. But of course, the other way we you can support us is what we launched on the live show night is our Patreon. Which is and- available at patreon.com slash report. Patreon.com slash report. What was that? What was that again? It was Patreon dot com slash can be report and a big shout out to the 18 people who've already signed up giving us over a hundred dollars per month what <laughs> actually well, no, no no 18 people have signed up for a total of over a hundred no no that, that was what i understood it to be oh uh, you weren't okay I, I, yeah we're at 107 dollars a month which is oh, a pretty pretty healthy start nice. that's very nice um, and it does go a long way for a lot of things. It'll help fund some of the, 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 you know, the beers that we have during the podcast. It'll go to funding some of the, the things that we go out and see all the time and ensuring that we have the time to put it all together. It's uh, fantastic that so many people feel like they want to come and support us. And a special shout out to the perhaps closest patron 
to the podcast, Mrs. Meehan. Thank you so much, Patrick's mom. Shall we jump into today's show? Yes, we should. Both feet first, so that we sync up to our necks in today's show. Today we have some coverage of the One City nomination. Uh, yeah, so One City had their nomination. They had uh, advanced voting uh, about a week ago, or a week prior to. Uh, that was, I believe, at Creekside Community Center. And then they had their actual vote on Sunday. Oh, no, correction, on Saturday. Uh, and that vote was uh, at the Polish Community Center at King Ed and uh, Fraser. Now, this is the interesting question I have. Did they open voting and then have most of the voting time, then have candidate speeches, and then immediately close voting? <laughs> Kind of, in fact. So what they did was they had the open voting Vancouver. at... Uh, so they had the... Oh, you, you're yeah, I get where you're going with that. Uh, but they had the open voting uh, at Creekside, and then they did uh, at 2 p.m. when polls opened again on Saturday, all of the candidates got to give a speech. Uh, each of the campaigns tried to bring out as many people as they could. And, it, you know, I dropped by, and it was it was, it was was quite a friendly affair. Everyone was out chatting and wandering around. All the candidates were, were sort of chatting with each other. And no one was really sure where it was going to go, other than they knew that Christine Boyle was a candidate and was going to be acclaimed. And that's partially because one city has a quota system, where yeah. they want to make sure that I, I, least... I, I think calling it a quota system, I think that, that phrase has become so negative. But at this point, they've, they've determined that, uh, that an equal number of their candidates must be, uh, must be identified women, self-identified women. Yes. So the system in which quotas are established. What would, you, <laughs> what, would you prefer, what would you prefer we call it? I will do it. I will call it that. An equity mandate. The equity mandate... Which established because a, it's 2018. Yes, the, your party started it. It's it's good policy. I just think that quota system is also like a fine thing to call it. That's fair. Uh, if you if you strip it of the connotation, yeah. Yes. So 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 things only have the connotation that we give them. But so so Christine Boyle was known. It was going to be it was going to be acclaimed, uh, and uh, that left Ben Bollinger, R.J. Aquino, and uh, Brandon Yen uh, fighting for the second spot under the VDLC negotiated agreement, where they would run no more than two candidates. Uh, it really was a tough call to say. Ben Bollinger had come in with a new group of supporters, mostly from the West End. He he probably had the most organizing experience of any of the candidates. Uh, R.J. Aquino was the, the the internal candidate who was well widely known and was sort of respected within the party for helping found the party and for being the flag bearer several times. Uh, and Brandon Yan, a newcomer, but an urbanist, uh, went to SFU for the urban urban studies program there. Uh, he's quite active in urban or, or urban issues around city uh, around the city, as well as, uh, you know, comes from the Kitts community, which is also a community that isn't exactly a, a hotbed of one city support necessarily. And so at 4.30, 4.45, you know, polls have been closed, they count the ballots, and Brandon Yan uh, is going to be the second uh, carrier of the, 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 the council candidate for uh, one city, which again means that uh, there are more and more people under the age of 35 running in these elections, which is fantastic to see. So what was the actual agreement between VDLC and one city? Was it run no more than two councillors we will endorse two or one? Up to two. They will endorse up to two. Because VDLC is going to only endorse up to 10, ten candidates. people yeah. total between all the parties. They, they can also endorse less than 10. True. If, yeah, if they don't want to. Yeah, so, up to 10 and also less than 10. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now Brandon Yan and Christine Boyle are going to be our, our council candidates locked in. Uh, we've now got, you know, the first of the parties uh, that's locked in their council candidates, actually, I think. I think that's true. Other than other than the one candidate for Vision that uh, uh, Heather Deal, which uh, she gets to be essentially claimed as a candidate, as an incumbent. Well, and Yan's interesting. He was also involved, I think, quite heavily in some of the LGBTQ yep. activism within the Vancouver School Board and 
that has he, stood in a bunch works, of the protests for he that. He works for an organization great. called Out in Schools. Oh. And uh, Out in Schools does workshops in schools around the Lower Mainland uh, talking about normalizing uh, being out and open about your sexuality in, in public and as well as sort of educating uh, youth on queer issues. So it was a good weekend for him to win right after the Trinity Western University Supreme Court ruling. <laughs> That's all I've been thinking about for three days because of work. But oh, yeah. Congratulations on that because you, you, you got to go speak at that. Uh, well, my lawyer did. Oh, your lawyer did. Yeah. That's right. But yeah, so Brandy Young's a really interesting candidate. Christine Boyle, also a very interesting candidate. She's, she's... she's a United Church minister, actually, but has been heavily involved in speaking out for a more soulful Vancouver, like mm-hmm. keeping the soul in the city, not in a religious way, but in a let's not have Vancouver suck. Yeah, I think they both they both really... I mean, like, not to say that the other candidates didn't, but I think they both do embody sort of what one city's shtick sort of is, which is the the, the, the we want to bring back a sense of community. If you recall the, the, the alienation conversations that were happening a couple of years ago in Vancouver, is I think one city really comes out of a lot of those conversations. I, I'm interested to, to hear what they envision in, like, saying this, because Vancouver has communities. Like, Vancouver has m- many different communities. Oh, no doubt. Like, and yeah. and th- this is the, the thing. Some imagining of a 1970s Vancouver, which, one, didn't actually exist, where there was, like, a monoculture, and uh, all of our news was determined by the sun and the province, and that was what you read. <laughs> and there was, you know, less than one TV on, and, you know, it was uphill both ways to school. Like, it was... And half the time the school was underwater. You Have know, you that, gone east west in Vancouver? It is really possible for it to be uphill both ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's my commute. <laughs> it's true, actually. But I think the soul that Boyle and One City are talking about is making sure that the communities we have don't get hollowed out by rich yeah. speculation and just... Mm-hmm. All transformed into glass high-rises or mid-rises. And, and that's if, not to say they're anti-development at all. And if there's one party that on the left that's really embraced a lot of abundant housing Vancouver's ideas, it's One City. One City's Twitter account uh, and One City's statements uh, and, and official positions is very strongly endorsed a lot of One City's concepts of ensuring that, pe- that Vancouver is a place for everyone via rezo- comprehensive rezoning. Which they've hashtagged from boundary to belmont from boundary to because belmont. this is the hashtag election this apparently. Is the, oh and so it's 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 fascinating to me that horseshoe theory applies again is you've got the hector bremner party on the right Be- and the one city party that it, it's they, a street that's way off on the west side it's near Wait, ubc and it? i think they wanted an alliteration it could have been crown which i think is actually closer but yeah mm. belmont boundary to belmont since oh come on like they've already get, taken you can get mad Twitter, at somebody you can no, no, are no, you getting mad at somebody for for a pun that doesn't quite work it, it, no no it, i mean yeah like you have you, ha- you have to you have to work the art form uh i mean i mean you are you, are, you like you're an expert in the field i truly am i have the certification and everything now you thought i was going to do something there but i wasn't double fake out psych the other thing to say about christine boyle is she's actually very well connected in the city and i wouldn't normally talk about the partners of candidates but her partner Mm -hmm. is seth klein the former executive director of the ccpa's bc office and and she did get as i understand she did get in the top two if not the top vote getter uh, because she was on the ballot Mm -hmm. my understanding of the votes was that she was in the top two and then seth klein is of course the i believe the brother of naomi klein the prominent activist so there's this connection to left-wing activism there that Mm -hmm. You can like or hate. I see the glare, but... No, I'm still fuming over Boundary to Belmont. I'm just thinking... I really liked No Logo, and I really didn't like Shock Capital, Shock shock Doctrine, so, you know. There's no... uh, Like, there's no good street that was... I mean, I'm trying to Would you have preferred Blenheim? But that would have left a lot of people out. Uh, Well, Balaclava is... That doesn't roll off the tongue. Boundary to Belmont. 
Balaclava, but yeah, no, it doesn't. One city has its council candidates mapped out. They also nominated their school board and did they nominate a park board trustee? Uh, I don't believe they got any park board spots, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and they they acclaimed their three uh, candidates for school board, uh, which there were only three candidates running. That's how acclamation works. And that's Carrie Burkick, who is on school board right now, I I believe. I think it's pronounced Bursick, but I'm not sure. Well, we'll figure that one out. Uh, I believe Erica Jaff, who also ran during the by-election. Yes. The third one-city candidate for school board is Jennifer Reddy. All right, well then. Reddy said go. Oh, well. That's a good slogan for her. You can have that. Well, the other big bit of local council news, I guess, or council election news, was Vision Councillor Raymond Louie announced finally that he's not going to seek re-election, which leaves Heather Deal as the only one from Vision Vancouver who wants to try to keep her job. Yeah, this one was a real will he or won't he thing. It was, And even when you talk to Vision people, I heard ups and downs over the last couple of months. You know, he's he's been on council for a long time. And so Ten I, years is a long time to do something like yeah, this. Yeah, he's been on council a long time. So I, I understand wanting to step aside. Like this is just like Andrea says, Andrea Reimer said in our last podcast is, you know, it, this is a long full-time job and it's hard to do. And sometimes you got to go sit on some boards somewhere. Well, I mean, he, he has been quite the, uh, the the deal maker for Vision in a lot of ways. And so it'll be interesting to see him him step aside and see how Vision does in terms of a number of things. Do we think this that that sounded like you were tiptoeing around something? But. No, I think he's 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 been a, a big fundraiser for Vision. He's he's also been uh, a broker within the business community for Vision, and I think that's going to be a, a a point for you know they're going to have to assign a new point person for that. Vision had been coming off a number of almost good news stories. I think like Ian Campbell coming forward had sort of given them some men- momentum and made it seem like maybe they're not totally a written off party, but then this feels like it's somewhat derailed that momentum. Oh, I don't think so. I think it's no? the opposite. I think other than Jeff Meggs, Raymond Louie was sort of one of the biggest targets that people that are anti-vision have in some ways. And I think... Except for Andrea <laughs> Reimer, but... Well, that's a different... But that's that's people that would never vote vision anyways. That's fair. Very few... Yeah. And so what you end up with is now it's more open for renewal. And there was a... There there are a lot of a council candidates. if you will. Yes. Uh, well, and there are a lot of council candidates that are, are coming forward that are very good candidates for Vision. And so this does, this actually probably helps them more than hurts them in some ways, because they do get the ability to have more new voices that they can add. Now, obviously, you know, it's one less voice that has a high amount of name recognition, which is super important on these ballots. But especially now that they're going to be randomized, especially now that they're randomized. But he was an L anyways, he was usually like a third of the way down. So the thing that I wonder about is about these like randomized ballots and also about turnout figures is like how important is name recognition municipal council election because we've you know people will vote for people that they're aware of but like i don't know how high that heuristic value is compared to like because vancouver has political parties whether it just goes straight to political party voting well most people when they do straight political party voting uh in vancouver from my anecdata is, oh, okay, so you that's know. the plural of anecdotes. <laughs> For my anecdata is that they will typically be like, well, you know, I like Vision, but I'm not going to vote a whole slate of Vision. So I'm going to vote, you know, if Vision's running five candidates, I'll vote for four of them, and then they tick off the names they recognize. Or the first four. Or the first four, which either or. I think the plural um, of anecdotes is a Reader's Digest. Uh, and so I think it does. Anyway, I think I think that this helps them in terms of their ability to say that they're a new party. 
And Heather Deal, it really is the the VB counselor that, you know, broadly on the left is well-respected. And so this does allow them in a lot of ways to be able to bring in new voices, say they're a new party that they've, you know, re-envisioned, as you say. Uh, and that's, you know, not not without its merits for them. Oh, their their name is so wonderful. I, I like I can't I can't, you know, spend all of that currency right now, but I've got so many for the rest there is, of the year. There is not a single political party municipally in the lower mainland that does not have a stupid name. Yes. We mentioned the randomized ballots, and we talked about this last week on the live show, but the one thing I did see, and I'll just touch this quickly, is the how it's going to be done. And it came out that the Vancouver Charter actually limits how we can run elections very specifically. And what will actually happen is they are going to print everyone's name off on a slip of paper, drop them all in a box, draw them out one by one. And that will be the order they appear on everyone's ballot across the city. This is so wonderful. I love that Vancouver has its own stupid constitution with stupid provisions from another century. Like well, the I mean, fact that else? the federal government but, has to be in charge of lighthouses or Matthew, how America ha- Matthew, how has a mandated you, like... How else would you randomize the ballot? Series of death like, cannons. You there, know, that there's are a very limited number of, But there's a very limited number of ways in which you can randomize a ballot. And that is just as good a way as any other. But yes, they're, so they're only saying, randomizing the, one ballot. The, yeah. the the ballot shall be randomized in whatever way the council or the minister of elections or the commissioner sees fit. Like, write some regulatory latitude into your laws. I mean, there was there was the, the one congressional election in the States where the vote was tied. And the requirement was that they had to put the two names into film canisters and have the film canisters come out of a refrigerator uh, and put them into a bowl. And they had to, they had to figure out how to get two film canisters. So they went on like eBay and tried to find like old film canisters. <laughs> Moving along again. So carding complaints. There's a new complaint jointly filed by the BC Civil Liberties Association and Union of BC Indian Chiefs. And this follows a report, I think only a week or two ago, mm-hmm. that the Vancouver Police Department's street checks are disproportionately targeting Indigenous and Black people in the community. So the report said that 16% of the people being stopped and asked for identification by police were Indigenous, despite the fact that the report said only 2% of, BC, of Vancouver is Indigenous, and 5% of local people, or 5% of people being stopped were Black, despite black people making up 1% of less, Vancouver. Less, less than, than 1%. 1%. And so this report comes out while well, the province has also released a look at promoting unbiased policing. And they've just concluded a consultation on trying to make cops less racist, or at least encouraging less racism and not blaming any individual, but saying, we need to make sure we have policies that, you know, promote... Yeah thinking smarter about this issue. We, we should do this systemic racism disclaimer. Systemic racism isn't the fault of any particular person. It is a societal like condition that emerges because of concentration of power. So, so we often think in Vancouver that we're, we're significantly better, uh, I think, than other, other places. And I think in a lot of ways, the VPD is a lot better than other, other police forces in Canada. Better but- at PR. No, no, I think, I think in a lot of ways, Vancouver, the Vancouver Police Department has, has become a better educated police force than a lot of other police forces on the issues. But that doesn't mean that they're exempt, and it doesn't mean they're exempt from criticism. And this is, seems to be a very fair criticism point, and I think it's really important to bring up. And so this complaint basically follows from the data sh- that suggests people are being disproportionately char- targeted. 
I mean, full disclosure, I'm on the board of the BCCLA. <laughs> yeah, you, so, you definitely agree with this. Yeah. But it's also like this is a big Ontario issue where Ontario has been, uh, Desmond Cole has been writing significantly on the carding issue in Toronto, uh, where they do have uh, the right and the responsibility to randomly card people. Uh, whereas in this situation, VPD, in theory, should only be going up and talking to people and asking for their identification if there's there's some suspicion of crime. Let's not get into the, whether or not that's the case here. But in, in Ontario, they've made some reforms and it, it, it's up in the air right now whether or not Doug Ford is going to keep those reforms. Uh, there's, he said statements to the one side and statements to the other side of the issue. So I think the interesting to see here from the political angle is what do people talk about going into the election from Mm -hmm. this? Because Gregor Robertson has been chair of the VPD board and and the mayor traditionally is chair of the VPD. So the mayor and council actually have a significant amount of influence in how the VPD operates. And I think it's, it's one of those things that politicians generally don't want to talk too much about you just want to be like we're pro safety and well because anti-crime the the reason for that is because anytime the police comes up people like immediately go into their culture war crouch and you know align themselves you know with the forces of law and order or against the pigs or whatever but like there is i think a legitimate and thoughtful conversation that is almost entirely impossible to be had that like talks about some of the problems that the Vancouver police force has had in its history and in many ways does continue to have and still acknowledging that there are positive steps that have been taken and, you know, police forces have, you know, been helpful and are good things for societies to have. So people are interested in further reading on that. I recommend an article, Stop Ignoring the Brutal Racist History of the Vancouver Police Department by Archie Mann. Uh, in the extra. So, the housing strategy is out. City Hall has released a visionary document that suggests the rezoning of many places into duplexes, because duplexes will solve the whole housing crisis. I mean, that's a pretty huge oversimplification of the plan. Yes, Um, but it it uh, does does align with some of the aspersions that have been cast upon it on Twitter. Yeah, and I think that those aspersions are relatively not unwarranted, like uh, if the plan were simply to just rezone single-family home areas into duplexes, that would be not very much. But there is actually a substantial amount to this plan, and I think it could go farther, absolutely, and there's a conversation to be had there. But the plan does, what the, one of the big cracks of the plan, though, is it has a significant increase in the amount of money going towards city-built uh, and supported uh, social housing and rental housing and other developments. And so what it would end up doing is build 72,000 more homes by 2027, including in that 20,000 rental units and 12,000 for social and supportive housing, which is up from the initial 8,000 that was planned. And those units are part of the 114,000 non-market housing units the provincial government promised last year. That's a component of the plan. The overall plan will include a whole host of other things that will support other housing initiatives. Sorry, 72,000 by 2027? Yeah. It takes a while to build things. Yeah, but that's an average of 7,200 a year. That's not enough. No. no, it's obviously not enough, but there's other in- initiatives as part of the project. The plan is a proposal from staff that is pretty much just going to become visions elect- 
action campaign, it seems like. Well, I'm not well, sure on that. I, I get the feeling Vision will run farther to the left of the, the project, but I don't know. Um, it's Because basically there's no chance. So, so the survey has been put together by staff, uh, and the plan is put together by staff, and the intent is to have it voted on after further consultations and further refinements, which would take place after the election. And so... Some people have said, and I think you know, not unreasonably, that this is you know relatively meaningless because who knows what the next council makeup is going to want to do, whether they want to go way over this or way under this or whatever, or totally different, or totally different direction. But I do think that it's it's interesting to see that the city has been moving forward, and I've I've heard whispers within both city staff, a non political side and political side staff, that this project has been coming for some time, and it's interesting to see it come out. It puts uh, Vision candidates and Vision Vancouver in an interesting position, which is that of a party in transition. Their turnover is apparently going to be everyone but Heather Deal, at least at the city council level and mayor. But like, it kind of cements what the party is about for the next couple of months, at least on the housing question, the question, capital T, capital H. And... Like every Vision Vancouver Council candidate will be asked, are you in favor of this plan? Does it go far enough? And that puts every one of those councillors in the position of criticizing Heather Deal or other, you know, the the party of the past or in the position of defending. Well, I mean, this did come out of the planning department and like. Yeah, you're in government. This is how you, you know, behave in government is your party. Directs the planning department. Fair enough. Uh, Fair point. Yeah, it's just an interesting position for a party to be put in. Uh, Mm. And it will be very fascinating to see how Vision decides to react. Because, like, it will be difficult for people to claim with credibility, oh, the party that I decided to run for the nomination of is coming forward with a bunch of hash measures. But also, maybe that's what you did? I mean, but, like, these are these are possibilities. Like, if they decide to stand by it and say this is an excellent plan for the city, that's also a possibility. Yeah. But uh, one of the other key elements of the plan that I think, Matthew, you'd really like uh, is there is an entire section dedicated to speeding up the process of approvals at City Hall when it comes to builds. Significant things that have been, you know, required conditional approval and now would be moved to outright approval. So, you know, expanded heights to laneway houses. Uh, if you're building multifamily dwellings, you would get an ex- expedited process of, of approval and such and such, which I think really speaks to a lot of your complaints that you've had over the years, which is the amount of time it takes for these approvals. I think that's fair. And I am always interested in that. Although I, I wonder whether the problem in the planning office has been more managerial than a question of, of too many things getting bogged down because it, the problem has gotten worse. And I feel like well, my understanding of the of a lot of the problem getting worse, and that's from talking to non-political staffers uh, and people in the planning department, is a lot of the problem of why it's taking so long is, one, that consultations usually result in more complicated uh, area plans than are necessary, which I think Matthew and I both agree with. Uh, and two, the sheer volume of housing uh, starts and housing applications that are coming in and the city's not responding by significantly increasing the amount of staff in that department. Yes, which is my what I was saying by obliquely mentioning managerial. I, I, did, oh, okay. I, did, I didn't want to, like, too specific. Okay. The Vancouver planning office is understaffed. There should be more planners. Hire more planners. And, you know, provide good working conditions so that morale is up and they can do the massive amount of work that is required to run a major global city, apparently, we've stumbled into being. Um, <laughs> it is good to see. This is the right way to put it, actually. Skimming some of the coverages, it talks about a lot of it seems like they looked at what the BC government has signaled or done, 
and just kind of rolled that in, but not really gone farther than that. So they're talking mm. about applying some of the rental only zoning to commercial zones and allowing that to start building up in Vancouver and using bits of the tools that will be given to increase density a little bit. But on like the social housing, like you're talking about, they're going up to what the province has announced, but then they're like, yeah, that the province well, has given us more money and we will go to that, yeah. but not, we're not going to try well, harder. They are going, they are going a fair bit farther than what is, was planned under the province's model from what I saw. And I could be wrong, but you're right that it's not like vaunt, vaulting ahead. Um, but they're also planning like a whole pile of property transfers over to the province for purposes of building social housing. And there's a dollar value amortization to that that involves complex economics in terms of fit budgeting that I don't understand. But the end result is that the city has less mm, assets in its, you know, asset oh. reporting. Once upon a time, you could hop on a train in Vancouver and make your way to Richmond and you didn't have to go under the Fraser River. You could go down Arbutus. We are sitting here in my condo very close to the Arbutus Greenway, what is now the Arbutus Greenway. This Greenway came about after a deal that was finally struck only a couple of years ago from by the city to finally buy this Oh, after years of litigation. No, no, it, no, it didn't even go to court. It was the pettiest, yeah. it was the pettiest action by a company I have ever seen. And it delights me so much. But so CP <laughs> Rail like, was granted this stretch of land, I'm assuming by the federal government at some point and said, yeah, build in, trains sometime, there. Sometime in a year that started with 18. Yeah. As in the indigenous people here went, yep. oh, you get a train now. Like, great. Yep. CP Rail gets this. Well, land. the train was used as a right of way, as Matthew said, for for you know like a hundred, like eighty or so years. Uh, yeah, when I moved to Vancouver, there were tracks there. This well, was, and, this was this was two thousand five. The the thing had not been active rail, f I think, since the mid mid nineties. Like it, it was uh, and even, actually. And like, even then, I think it was used for training purposes. And for, there was a short run that worked for the brewery to take the brewery liquor, some like brewery beers, somewhere south of uh, into the South Vancouver area. Mm, um, yes, and that was like one train a day or like one train a week or something. But that train, despite having carried goods for many many years, uh, was inactive by the time that my time in Vancouver began in 2005 and uh, people started building gardens on it uh, as you were want to do in kids yeah well and it had been passenger rail as you as you we were talking to before the podcast Matthew back when we had the the, the interpin line it had been passenger rail for years until like the 1960s 1970s when the when the the, the were all closed down and we had streetcars everywhere streetcars but... everywhere well and the halcyon days of yore is unfortunately now eclipsed but by... It was, but it was almost passenger rail again. King car. Well, no, it wasn't. Let's be honest. And the, it, well, the, it might still be. It was almost so, going to be. Oh, and it might still be. So the there city was buys... no way the Arbutus just prior, would let them do that. Just prior to the city buying the land, people had start, started putting up their own guerrilla gardens, essentially, I mean, along it, the it, line. People At, were planting fruit trees. People planted fruit trees. It takes years to get fruit out well, of a fruit tree. And CP Rail was in this constant battle with the city of... Well, we technically still own this, and yeah, we, we want the right it, to use it. Please buy this land from us for you, a billion dollars. Or you whatever are planning on using it, and, and at some point, like the negotiations stalled, and things reached a breaking point, and CP was like, "Fine, we'll use it like we're supposed to. 
time for trains and started tearing up people's gardens arbitrarily. Well, and they Not arbitrarily, definitely, as they had every right to do. Well, and they threatened to bring garbage cars, like train cars that they had no use yep. for, and just like ditch them around. Well, they, And they also talked about, about bringing back training runs, which was obviously like a, hey, you know. We, we'll shut down Broadway traffic for our, our rail, two our, minutes Our railway drivers may not know what they're doing. Just saying, you maybe don't want the safety concern there. It's important to do interurban train. <laughs> like I want, I want the conductors of my rail system to be trained. But yeah, it is. Bizar- <laughs> it is bizarre to me to have them trained that this, this, Surrey, this but... Arbutus corridor, which has been a non-in-use transportation corridor for like thirty years or twenty-five years or so, except that one time been... that I accidentally turned my car onto it and high-centered really? it. Really? Okay. It seemed. Um, it seemed like the I'm gonna... road. I'm gonna leave that one, but it's uh, it's 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 like for the entire time I've been living in Vancouver, it has been a giant piece of controversy. From when the original Canada Line was gonna run down that route, and the famous resident of Caresdale went on the radio and said, "We are the creme de la creme of Vancouver, and we do not want a passenger rail service." To and, and then that whole process was underway. Larry Campbell eventually sort of solomoned the process by moving it over to Camby, but that was like this like giant like five year run or three year run of people being very angry. Turns out from property value. You did actually want passenger rail in your community, <laughs> but wah, wah. Uh, and then now it's uh, and now it's a beautiful bikeway. Well, it's a temporary bikeway. Temporary. So the city, unless it's not, there just are temporary like, buildings. Just like all UBC. the city's bike lanes that are temporary. Well, they want to put in a better bikeway, and they're actually consulting on it right now. So yep. the city's deal with CP Rail said they will reserve it as a right of way for transportation. I think it specifically said no housing. And the hope for it is for it to be pedestrian, biking, and possibly streetcar. Somehow all crammed into what at some points I think is only 20 feet across. Why? Yeah, no, no, that works. But, no, no, yeah, it, oh, it It is possible. The designers the, have made the maps of it. Yeah, there but. are ways that it can work. It's it's difficult. And maybe you end up with like a couple of sections that like the seawall are, you know, cyclists dismount and join the, the foot traffic. But it works. But the nice thing of it as a bikeway is you can get from almost Granville Island to the Fraser River, never going up more than like a 2% grade because oh, it was designed so, for the train. You can fucking fly on that thing. It it's is so, so fun. nice. I couldn't I couldn't believe it because I came, you know, the first time I took it was to come here to, to podcast. And, you know, I'd heard all these stories about it. I had all these friends and I'm a avid cyclist. Uh, and then, as soon as I turned onto it, because it starts off not on our views, it starts off going east-west at like Pine and fifth or something. And then you just like fly along there, hang a left and you're going up our beautiful. It's really nice. It's the wonderful transition between cycling for work and cycling for fun. I like taking it home. <laughs> well, also, and I don't ho- have to ride up that stupid Ontario hill. Ugh. Ugh. Well, they could get it. You know, the, it's been proposed a rope pole for Ontario. I've heard that suggested no, more for no, North Van. use the bike lift. The I bike wrote yeah. the bike lift. This, I will is, also do with the bike lift. This that is literally good. what I wrote my like final project master plan thing on for my planning degree. Almost degree. Technically, whatever. I don't want to misrepresent myself. I have a graduate certificate in planning. And uh, yeah, it was on, on redeveloping lower lawn sale, including bike lifts nice. and a streetcar, but not in the same place. Well, and so if they do manage to put a streetcar in, I think their hope is to connect that to the Olympic line that existed yep. for a brief amount of time to go from Granville Island over to Olympic Village. 
And then it will go through your neighborhood. Well, and actually, the Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, this became a weird political thing. Not, not to go too far into the weeds, because this is a cool future errata. But this became a big political thing in Suzanne Anton's mayoral run, was she pledged to bring that streetcar in and take it all the way to Stanley Park. And Vision really, like, and, and I think unfairly mocked it. Uh, they did, I think, fairly say Broadway is the priority. But they unfairly mocked it because Vancouver has been buying up that right-of-way for years. And thank God, because and it's great. Broadway has been built. Yeah, soon. <laughs> But Vancouver, <laughs> As opposed to, like, actually letting the tracks fall into disrepair yeah. and disuse. But yeah, but yeah so, so Vancouver has got the right-of-way all the way from Granville Island to Stanley Park. The only thing that stops it from linking up with the Arbutus Corridor is there's a Starbucks on top of the rail right-of-way underneath the Granville Street Bridge. Well, and Starbucks is a sacred site in Vancouver. It's true. It's probably a heritage site. Well, what a week it's been. Relatively slow news, but we somehow managed to have filled just an incredible amount of time with bullshit it's been a fun week though it's it's nice to kind of decompress after our live show which we again thank you so much so so much for coming to and we hope you come to our next one please visit our patreon it is available at patreon.com slash report check out our facebook check out our twitter we are active on twitter yeah uh, and thanks to everyone who is tweeting at us during the live show we obviously yeah. couldn't respond from yeah. stage no, apparently we get accused of looking at our phones too much. And if you have any suggestions for what we can do in terms of uh, the, the next live show, let us know. Uh, anything that worked, things that didn't work, we'd love to have it so that we can improve for next time. I'm Matthew Naylor, and this has been 124 days to go in the Vancouver Municipal Elections. I'm Patrick Meehan. And I'm Ian Bushfield. Good night. When Vancouver had intercity rail uh, that was convenient and accessible and, like, people could actually take it to and places other than, like, this one thing that we built in the 80s. But And can take you all the way to Chilliwack. Well, you know, everything has its downsides. <laughs>